Today, for whatever reason, the Lord woke me up with a message this morning, and it's not at all what I intended to preach. And I know for sure it's what the Lord wants you to hear because nothing has worked. Uh, I, I sent it to myself um, through the internet to get it on my iPad, and my iPad wouldn't pick up my email. And then I sent it uh, through the, the web basically as a, as, a, as a document that just exists in the web for me, and I can access it from any of my things, and, and my iPad couldn't find it. And I'm like, obviously this is what I'm supposed to say. So you are hearing what the Lord wants to say to you today. Let's go to Matthew chapter 1. We'll read just a few verses. I am in the NIV today. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. And it, uh, it will be up. Actually, it might not be up because this is one of the late editions. Joe is not at fault. Don't everyone look back and wonder why Joe has failed me. Um, he didn't fail me. Look at that. It's not even in the notes. So uh, anyway... Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. This is out of the NIV. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered these, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. Isn't that awesome? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Um, I want to talk to you for a little while about protecting the promise. Protecting the promise. Um, By the way, if you don't know me, if this is your first time here, I am Pastor David Ayer. I am the one who is uh, stepping into leadership here. These Two amazing men and their wives have led this church for a long time, and they're going to be still involved in things here because they are called of God, and they are here with us, and they're not moving, and I'm glad for it. Um, But if you don't know me, I hope you stick around get to know me because God's wanting to do something here. One of the things that, that we've got to understand about who we are is that we are carriers of covenant. And I know that covenant is, an, is a word that we don't hear a lot outside of church. And it's, it's a word that we really have a very poor understanding of. Because the reality is that um, in the world today, covenant is a very liquid kind of idea. Um, it used to be that you could settle things with a handshake. That there was an honor between two men or two people. That when something was settled and it was shaken upon, that it was done. It was a done deal. Um, It was as good as having it in in writing at one time. And many of you remember those days. Uh, Today, it's a very different world. You you can sign contracts and, you know, absolve people of risk and all kinds of stuff. and, And there's a loophole where they can sue your rear end off. 
And a lot of people will use it. The idea that, that there is this kind of agreement, that there is a, a binding agreement between two people that links them is something that is rare and not understood today. Even marriage. Even marriage, the, the most sacred of covenants today, that we've really the most sacred of covenants that has ever been outside of God's covenants to people. Uh, it's something that you can get in and out of very easily. You know, you have a no-fault divorce, and, uh, you know, if you don't mind losing some of your stuff, you can start over. You know, find that new girl, that new guy, and bring all your junk that you came with uh, that ruined your first marriage into the second one, and be assured of the same results. Just saying. But that's not my topic today. That's nothing to do with what I'm preaching about. That's, that's for another message. But um, covenant is something that we don't really understand. But covenant is something that the God gives us its promise. It's that, that you are his and that he is yours, that, that he is your God and you are his child and that, that you're linked, that he gives himself to you unreservedly. That, that everything that God has, everything that, that is available in him is available to you for the pressing in. It's like a sponge saturated with water that all you've got to do is, is press in a little bit and you start to draw the moisture. But if you really want what's in that sponge, you have to squeeze a little bit. You've got you to put effort into it because you get what you want out of the covenant you have with God. God is a person and God desires to give himself to you. And with that understanding that we're children of covenant and that God wants to share himself with us, we have to understand that, that God in that puts inside you promise. Each of us, each person in this room, whether you know Jesus or whether you don't, whether you are in relationship with him or whether you have never given your heart to him. If you've never heard the name Jesus before this very moment, I want to say this one thing to you. You need to know this, that you were created with purpose in mind. That each of us inside of us has a created purpose that God desires to bring into this world. Each of us was shaped and made to be able to step into a place where God could use us to touch other people's lives. I've had God tell me about people who were lost, what their ministries were to be. Because it doesn't matter whether or not you ever step into it, God made you with design. And, and that, that purpose... That personal promise is your destiny if you will step into it. And that destiny is what all of us hope for. It is the thing that stirs in you. It's the reason that sometimes you wake up at night and you feel like maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You go, man, I don't understand it. I don't know maybe what I'm supposed to do yet, but I feel like I've got something I've got to do. Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever feel like, like God's got something for you or something in you is pushing you towards something and maybe you don't even know what it is? But you got to just understand that God is trying to lead you somewhere 
And that that place, that destiny, that created purpose that God has in you, that is the greatest terror that the devil has ever known. You stepping in and becoming the person that God made you to be scares the devil to death. And because of that, the enemy is always going to try to prevent you from fulfilling that purpose. Everybody get that? The enemy is always going to try to stop you. Always. Whatever it is that you're called to do, he's going to try to, to, to dissuade you or, or put obstacles in there. Because if you ever step into that place where you begin to do what really God made you for, stuff is going to change. People are going to be saved. People are going to be set free. Stuff is going to just, that the enemy has built in people's lives is going to fall apart because you have stepped into purpose. Because you've walked into promise. And I want to tell you on the front end of a new year, as we get ready for the next thing that God is going to do in us, as we all, you know, as anybody started thinking about your goals for next year already. I don't do resolutions. I do goals. Because I can resolve anything. But if I make it a goal, well, then I've got to have process and plans involved to try to get there. And so I don't have goals. Or I don't have resolutions. I have goals. And so if anybody's like me, you're sitting there thinking about, okay, well, I need to do this, I need to do this, and, and you've got your little list, and my recommendation would be to keep it to three or, or thereabouts, because otherwise it gets too big and you don't get it done. But as you start looking at those things, and we start looking at where God's trying to lead us, we need to understand that there's... God is, is mobilizing us as a body. God is preparing us as a people to, to step out like maybe we haven't for a very long time. Maybe some of us are, are being called by God to step into new ministries or, or to step into new roles or maybe find him for the first time. Whatever it is, God has this body and, and we're about to step into some new things with this new year. And, and, and I know God's working and preparing us for that. And there's, there's a desire in, in all of us, I think, to grow this year. Not just as a church, but as people. And you need to know this one thing. The enemy is going to try to stop you. Especially if you line up your goals with God. <laughs> you got some God goals? Trust that the enemy is going to do anything he can to stop you for those, from those things. There are three times that the enemy tries a very concerted effort, very focused attack to try to kill a promise so that it's not fulfilled. And those are going to be our topics for today, our, our three points. The first is that the enemy will try to kill a promise. For anybody who has just come to know the Lord, if you've just given your life to Jesus, don't have to raise your hand, but you know who I'm talking to. If you've just experienced salvation in Jesus Christ, if you just gave him your life, you're walking in freedom, you're finding that there's, there's all things new. I want to tell you this one thing. In, in the midst of all of your joy and in the midst of all of your happiness and your celebration, I want you to know something. The enemy is trying to kill you. 
It's some good news, right? He is going to try to kill you. That is what he's going to do because in that place when you have just gotten saved, if you just walked into, maybe you just caught the idea of what God wanted to do with your life. Maybe you're just beginning to see a glimmer of what he wants to do, and that's the infancy you're in right now. But whatever that place is, when that promise just first enters into you, you're immature in that promise. And you're vulnerable in that promise. And the enemy wants to snatch it and kill it before it starts to grow. We see this in Jesus' life. Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. The magi, or the, the wise men, the kings from the east, had come and given their gifts to the Lord, and, and Herod had, had been asked, where is the king of the Jews to be born? And they said, well, in Bethlehem. And they tracked down Jesus, and they give him the gifts. And then they leave because they're warned by an angel to not go back to Herod. Because Herod, Herod is not about God's purposes. And what happens is this. When Herod realized, verse 16, that he had been outwitted by the magi, or the wise men, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity, who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Now, I want you to understand that when you're in this, this young state, the enemy's going to try to kill you. He's going to try to sh- cast doubt in your mind about the things you've experienced. He's going to try to cause you to become discouraged by the things in this world. It's like the parable of the sower, where some of the seed goes on the path, and it's, it's stony, it's, it's, it's hard ground. And then some of the seed goes into the, the stony ground, where it's shallow, and there's no room for it to grow. And all of these things, we, we're, we're constantly having to protect the seed. Now, I want to say this to the body here. New life, The new babies we got in here, the people who've been born spiritually over the last, say, six months, who protects a newborn? The family. It's the family that protects. And that is especially true of the spiritual parents. If you know that you were part of somebody's salvation experience, it's our job. It's our job as those that have been the light in their darkness, that have been the ones who planted the seeds of faith to cultivate that, to grow that. We need to recognize our part in this and encourage them through the darkness because the enemy will try to kill them right there. So the first time he tries to kill is early in the Christian life through discouragement, fear, persecution. But if you stay, if you stay and you grow, then you start being able to experience different things. God starts using you in different ways. It becomes fun. There's, there's, there's very little more fun than serving God. There's nothing more cool than laying hands on somebody and seeing them receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
Or to see somebody come up in an altar and give their heart to Jesus with tears streaming down their face. Usually I'm crying right with them because it's just, it's just, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it when you start to see God use you. But then you start, you step into that next place where the enemy will try to come in and dissuade you. The first one is early on he'll try to kill you. But if that didn't work, if he couldn't kill you early, then he'll try to tempt you. We see this in Jesus' life. Luke chapter 4, and the, the temptations of Christ. Jesus is, is out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. He's, he's without food, without any strength. And the enemy comes to tempt him. We all know that, you know, he comes and says, If you be the Son of God, why don't you take that stone and make it bread? And he says, you know, man shall not live by bread alone. But every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And we go through these, these temptations. But the reason, and I want you to hear this. This is important for where we're going. The reason for the temptation is that he wants you to worship something other than God. And that can be anything. That can be your career. That can be your education. That can be a boy, girls, or a girl, boys. That can be all these things. It can be, you know, anything in the world. It can be the Eagles. Philadelphia Eagles, that would be. Some of you would not be as distracted about that than than others, maybe. I don't know. Um, But see... The temptation is to get you to worship anything that is not God. And it is not. It is not that your career or that your education or even the eagles are evil. Though some might debate me on that one. It is that it is something other than God that you're worshiping. Let's take a look at that real quick. We're in um, Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Look at what the devil does. Listen to this. The devil led him to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. Check that out. He, he shows him the whole world, all the kingdoms. Across the spectrum of this vast planet he shows him all the kingdoms and then he says this and he said to him i will give you all their authority and splendor it has been given to me and i can give it to anyone i want to if you worship me it'll all be yours see if you make it past your infancy you're gaining strength. You're gaining power. You're beginning to walk as a son or a daughter of God. And you are becoming dangerous. And the enemy, if he can get you to look at something else and worship it, then you worship effectively him. And he will cause you then to not be able to step that act That act of worshiping the enemy and listening to him is the very thing that Adam did when he took of the fruit and ate it. 
He said, I am trusting something other than God. I want something more than God. I want that fruit. I want to eat it. It looks good. It'll make me wise. I'll be like God. And we have to be careful in our pursuits. That we make sure that they line up with what God wants for our lives. I will tell you flatly that I am someone who demands excellence from myself, from my wife, and my children. I, I, I was talking to Mariah last night. And we were talking about that God wants us to be the best we can be academically, athletically, health-wise. All of these things, when we grow up, he wants us to be the best we can be in business. And in, in, if you're in university, he wants you to be the best in that. Whatever it is you do, he wants you to be the best at. But it is not so that that is your thing. It's because he is your king. And that is the way that you serve him. Does that make sense? It's a matter of what is the, the focal point. What is the object of your focus? Because if the object of your focus is Jesus, you may be the best student in your class, and you may be the best athlete in your class, and you may be the best, um, you know, looking. You may be the one who's homecoming queen and homecoming king and all the other stuff. You may have all of it. But it all points to him. The temptation And the way that the enemy will prevent you from stepping into promise is when that thing is the object of your focus and not him. This, whatever this is, whatever glory this is, has to point everybody to him. And if it doesn't, If it points to you, like, how awesome am I? Look at me. If that's the deal, then the object is giving you glory and not him. And you've bought the temptation. It's time to redirect. It's time to get focused on what really matters. Because all of this stuff can go like that. I, I knew people back in 2008 when the economy crashed. I had one friend, we were talking on the phone, and she was like, yeah, me and my husband, we lost about $78,000 today. I was like, ouch. One day, poof, gone. When we put things in front of him, those things are temporary. And the enemy wants you to focus all of that work, all of that attention, all of your time, your devotion, your love, your passion to this instead of him. As we're standing on the threshold of this new year, you've got to recognize that he's going to tempt you to focus on the things that are not God so that you never realize the promise that's inside you. Resolve to worship God. Determine in your mind that you're going to worship the king, that he's the focus, he's the why. This may be the what. This may even be the how. 
but he's the why. So he's going to try to kill you. If that doesn't work, he's going to tempt you. And if you make it through all of that, he's still got one more play. At the end of his life on this earth, Jesus is going to a cross. He knows it. He has the last supper with his disciples. They have a time of song. They go and pray in Gethsemane. And the Bible says that he went a little further. Jesus finds himself seemingly in just bent over in prayer. And I never get just bent over in prayer. The burden's so heavy. The pain seems so great. You just want God to come in and rescue you. Sometimes, sometimes you just, just, Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. See, but this is the thing. There are things that you're going to go through. And some of you, there's things that you've gone through. There's things that you've gone through in this life. That, that God is trying to put you in position to fulfill your ultimate ministry, the ultimate purpose. See, Jesus comes and he heals the, the sick and, and the lame are walk and the, the deaf are hearing and the dead are raised and, and all this awesome stuff's happening and everyone's going, woo! He's the new king. He's the Messiah. He's the one who's going to set us free from Rome. And it was true to a point. He was the Messiah, Absolutely. But the freedom that he came to give wasn't from a tyrannical Caesar, but from the tyranny of sin. And you might be walking in, in your ministry and stuff might be happening and, and God's using you and it's awesome. But this is the thing. Don't stop short of what God really has for you. Because because the reality is that, that Jesus is sitting there at the end of his life and he's a young man who's got years in front of him. And I'm sure that the enemy is walking by going, you don't want to go to the cross. You don't want to do this thing. You don't want to actually, and we don't know all that's going on. And I know that you guys, are, some of you are having theological debates with me right now. We don't know what was happening. We don't know what the devil knew and what he didn't know. We don't. We've got some inklings of about it. But, but I want you to listen to me. Inside the Lord's mind, he does not want to go to the cross. And there are things that you're going to have to look at. There are things that you're going to have to decide that he is worthy of the pain. That, that what God has for you, what God has in you, is worthy of what it's costing you. That the people that you're dying for, because that is how it feels sometimes, are worthy of the sacrifice. See, the last thing that the enemy wants you to do, this is the third and final attack, he wants you to settle. He wants you to settle for having just a nice little ministry. He wants you to settle for having just 
You're doing what you're supposed to do. You're doing, you're walking and you're calling. But you're not quite there. Jesus didn't settle because he knew that if he did, none of us would be here today. See, salvation was what he came to give, and it cost him his life. And I know that, that nobody wants to, you know, when you really look at it, nobody wants to be Jesus. Everybody wants to be one of the fiery prophets. We want to be John the Baptist and call everyone to repentance. We want to be, we want to be you know, we want to be Elijah and call fire from heaven. We don't want to go and die. But if we will not settle for just comfort, if we will not settle for just what we want, God will use you. God will transform this world by you. The history of this world and Christianity has been marked by people who determined before, before the price came that anything was worth serving him, that no price was too great to pay for him. Ben, why don't you come on up? I want you to listen to this last little thought. I've heard that here in Pennsylvania, there's several monuments to the Moravians. Actually, Caroline told me that. The Moravians were really the first missionaries. And they had, they had this saying that came out of this, this story in their history. There were two young Moravian men who had a terrible burden on their hearts for the slaves of the East Indies. They were wanting desperately to get a mission started there. And every time that they did, the slave owners, the plantation owner who owned all the slaves, would not allow for any Christian influence on those slaves. And these two young men, in their early 30s, with families, overwhelmed by the burden that God had placed in their hearts to see these slaves saved, did the unthinkable. They went to the owner of the plantation and they sold themselves as slaves to him. They became slaves so that they could fulfill their ministry to the slaves because it was the only way in. And they say that when when the boat was leaving to take them over to the plantation, they're sitting at the dock with their church family and friends, their, their wives and their children. And they're boarding the boat. Tears are streaming down the faces of everybody. They know that this is the last few moments that they will ever see 
these two men again and that they will ever see their families. And as the boat sails off and is in the distance and the families are crying in the dock, they say this one thing. They say that the Lamb be glorified. That the Lamb be glorified. That's what Jesus did for us. And it inspired them to do the same for him. What are we holding on to that is not worthy of him? That is holding us back from what he's really called us to. As we sit on the threshold of a new year, I invite you to make a determination in your heart that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've allowed in the past to be the thing that's distracted you from your purpose in him, that this be the year. That today be the day that you write it down in the book. That you mark the date and that you say, today I've determined I will serve him with my whole life. That he is worthy of any price.